Hello and welcome to another episode of Revenue Champion. Uh, today we've got a, an exciting guest, Matthew Provins. Uh, he's done a lot in the sales development space, working his way up from a sales training boot camp into his first position and helping that organization scale to $2 million in ARR within just eight months, getting promoted into sales development leadership. And since then, he's gone on to run training for a sales bootcamp and now is a founder CEO of a SaaS company and does some fractional sales leadership. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this conversation. Matthew's a wonderful soul and does a lot for the sales development community. Looking forward to this conversation today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Revenue Champions. Uh, you got myself here, Ryan Reisert, your host, and I'm super excited to be meeting with uh, uh, a guest that I met a couple months ago, and we're back here for a deep conversation. I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about him and his background, but I'll leave it to him for a brief introduction. Matthew, tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you're up to these days, uh, Mr. New Minted Founder of Pause. <laughs> Yeah. Matthew, how do you be in this world? Uh, pretty good. Um, so, you know, I'm a lot of people on LinkedIn right now know pause or dial pause. Um, but I didn't like really fully announce me being the co-founder and CEO of the company until a couple of weeks ago uh, when I left as the head of training of Trainio. Um, and so it's been a lot of exciting stuff going on the past couple of weeks, really getting our go-to-market strategy in place and um, really ramping up our revenue operations at pause. Um, it's been exciting. Obviously, nerve-wracking to be an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, there's that lack of stability, but it's always that exciting time when you get to try a bunch of new things, uh, take everything I've learned, kind of as an SDR and SDR leader, and implement those things at my own company now. Um, that's that's been my my past couple of weeks, and will be my future. Amazing. So, dial pause, pause. Uh is getting getting a lot of buzz um what what gave you the idea or excitement about wanting to build something like that yeah so my my background is in the political realm and i've made easily over a quarter million cold calls in my time since starting to work as a volunteer over seven years ago now um and throughout that time i've used a variety of different like auto dialers and i've always been passionate about finding the best way to talk to people and so early on last year, um, somebody had made a post about the dialer they were using. And, you know, I went on a walk and I think when I go on a walk and listen to music, I always get like my best ideas for writing a new cold call email script, best way to reach out to somebody, maybe writing a good LinkedIn post. Um, I started kind of culminating this idea of a new um, dialer um, that's kind of made by SDRs for SDRs. And so started putting together a business plan some UI UX uh, with an incubator. Um, I had my own sales podcast at the time. Uh, Ryan Zadrazil came on um, and he ended up actually becoming my co-founder after we had like one discussion. Uh, we, we became really good friends, offered him the role of co-founder and we've been building it out ever since. Uh, officially launched to the public about a month and a half ago now. Um, so it's been very exciting. Amazing. A dialer for SDRs by SDRs. Uh... Yeah, I'm, ex I'm excited to track your guys' journey. And I talked to Ryan a couple of weeks ago and, and looking forward to seeing what you guys build. Uh, you already have something pretty, pretty awesome um, in, in, in the early releases and, and, and really focused, which is really exciting to see. Um, you yourself have a really interesting journey, right? Uh, you're a pretty young yeah. sales leader. Uh, it's, it's actually really inspirational for a lot of people to see 
um, and I know you 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 have like a unique background as well. But um, did you imagine you'd always land in sales? Did you just always have a passion for being a salesperson? Because you're building a dialing company, you've been doing the political stuff. Now you're in the sales landscape. But did you see a path towards this when you got started? Or were you were you trying to go down the path of politics? It sounds like you were into politics. Was that more like a, a passion yeah. or, or just like a, a path to? I'm curious to hear. So um, my original plan, I've always had a passion for people. Um, I kind of learned this in my sophomore year of high school. You know, I, I've grown up with a physical disability. I've been bullied my entire life. People still look down upon me no matter what happens, right? And that's something I've come to terms with. But I also, I also believe it's a strength of mine. Um, and so kind of my sophomore year, uh, is I was struggling a lot with depression and anxiety. And I got diagnosed uh, with both of those things, right? Um, but at the same time, I had started volunteering uh, for the Red Cross. Uh, and I was asked to go stand up in front of the club in high school and kind of speak about my experiences um, and talk to them about community service opportunities that existed. And so I spoke a little bit about my background and like um, my beliefs on like humans as like a whole um, and how to interact with them and things along those lines. I was a very uh, philosophical uh, um, teenager. Uh, and um, afterwards, um, this kid that had just immigrated from India, um, he ended up becoming the vice president of the Red Cross Club two years later. Uh, but he came up to me and said that the stuff I had said was things that he had never heard from a, another person. And I changed his perspective as an immigrant coming into the U S on how to look at human beings. And that kind of like, that's what got me to really love helping people is the responses that you get from people. It's right. You help people because it feels good. Right. Uh, not everything is fully altruistic, but you still get the opportunity to help those people. And that's, that's the part of that I think matters. Um, and so I kind of continued that did a lot of community service in high school. That's when I started working in politics. Uh, my older sister um, was running for city council in the Bay Area here in California. That was the first thing I volunteered for, you know, her little brother helping her get elected. She became the youngest vice mayor um, at 26 years old um, of Emeryville, wow. California. Um, and so she was one of those people that really enabled me to get that opportunity. And that's when I made my first cold call. I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I'm a huge cold calling nerd. Obviously, I mean, I own, I own, I own an auto dialing company, so I hope so. Um, and that's when I kind of fell in love with it. Did I have sales in mind? No. I originally wanted to become a therapist. Um, I wanted to specifically work in the emergency ward um, in the ER and specifically work in the high intensity environment. Um, but kind of going into college, um, when COVID hit, it kind of changed everything for me. Um, I, I can't really, it was hard for me to do online school. I couldn't really focus. And so I ended up dropping out and that's when I became an entrepreneur first. Um, started my own e-commerce um, that was doing well, but then my business partner left me. I was put into debt, having to pay our marketing team off. Um, and so I went through a sales boot camp and became an SDR, um, uh, at 19. Um, and then kind of, you know, grew from there. And that, that's so fascinating to hear. Obviously your belief around helping people and being passionate about like, actually there's like a there's not just like the cell involved in what you do. It's more about the idea of, I like to help people. And that translated into helping your sister become, you know, one of the youngest elected uh, vice mayors, like you said, um, in the area. And then now uh, at 19, you go through a boot camp, And it's my understanding that you helped scale that first company that you got hired out of up to about 2 million in ARR. 
Uh, yeah. and, and you were promoted from SDR to uh, a director within like less than a year. Tell us a little bit more yeah, about so, that experience. One, who was the yeah. boot camp? Who was the boot camp? And then two, uh, what was that? What was that like, man? That's that's incredible. Yeah. So that boot camp was actually uh, pre-hired. Uh, I'm very notorious on LinkedIn now because of that. But uh, that's was my first post that went viral. But we're not going to delve too deep into that because there's a lot of public stuff going around on around it. Uh, but right, I was promoted to SDR manager in eight months. So um, I know uh, before you came on, I was just talking to James about what outsource SDR work is like. Right, I fully believe it is the hardest SDR role, and as it was my first, there was a lot of challenges, especially working uh, for a CEO um, that never trained an SDR before. Um, but that had a lot of positives to it as well. It forced me to branch out onto LinkedIn and start learning from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. So kind of the first person that I really talked to um, was a dude named Matthew Binder. Um, And he gave me, you know, really good advice on getting into that role. Um, I'm sure we'll delve deeper into that later on. Um, And I just started growing from there, keeping track of everything I was doing. Um, Then when the next SDRs were brought on, about three months into being their SDR, um, I I was able to take a lot of the processes I created and help those SDR scale as well. And so I kind of validated and created a proof of concept of my success and it enabled me to help the other people around me. And that's what gave me that promotion as SDR manager um, in month eight um, of being in SaaS in general. Um, and then became a head of sales after I left um, CellX, um, I think um, February of this year, actually, I believe is when I left and became a head of sales. Okay. So I know you want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, Cellex was that first company. You helped them get to two million. There was um, unfortunately some announcements. Uh, sounded like they just started coming in today. There's a little bit of a layoff there, but um, the experience there sounds like it was incredible. Um, you know, you you were able to uh, take what you um, have as like a root understanding of who you be in this world, put that into action, but also leverage some. Ne- uh, in, uh, mentors through networking, et cetera, to kind of mm-hmm. think about how do you document your path and take advantage of your learnings. Uh, do you have any tips you would, you would share with someone who, who wants to be in a similar position? Is it even possible? Uh, or is that a unique kind of unicorn opportunity? Uh, curious to hear your thoughts on what would it take yeah, to go I from mean, boot camp to manager in a year. <laughs> yeah. The, my opportunity was a lot of, I'd say it was mostly hard work and a decent amount of luck, right? I landed in the right opportunity at the right time with a guaranteed quick promotion, right? As I had gone from a, a director level on a presidential campaign to being an entry-level SDR, and right, I'm I'm what they call in the personality types a team captain. Um, at least that's what I consider myself and what others have told me, right? And so I like to dabble and do a little bit of everything, but I want to lead. That, that's who I am intrinsically um, as somebody that wants to help other people grow. And the Celex really enabled me to have that opportunity um, to help others get to where they wanted to be. Now, um, when it comes to my advice for others, I'm going to give you the same advice that Matthew Binder gave me, is develop a playbook. Um, And by playbook, I mean, keep track of literally everything you do as an SDR, whether those are the things that you're successful in or the things that you suck at, right? It's important to keep track of both, especially the things you suck at. Um, Because what I always say to people is, 
Um, there's a limited amount of things that can go wrong, but there's an unlimited amount of things that can go right. So if you start eliminating your mistakes as you go through them, you're going to do more and more things correctly, right? But you're also going to start stumbling upon more and more of those mistakes, which you shouldn't try to avoid them. That's how you learn and grow. And so that's what developing a playbook really is all about at the beginning is just writing the notes down on what you're doing to be successful and what you're doing that's failing. Um, and then take those and find a way to scale all those things, right? Not only for yourself, but for others. Now, when you can scale it for others, that's when you can start becoming a leader or, you know, showing that you can, working outside of being an SDR, AE, whatever position you're in as an individual contributor, um, and prove to the team that, hey, what I'm doing works for others as well. And that's kind of how you get to that next level. Um, and I think it's less in relation to the amount of time it takes and more in relation to the amount of work that you put in and the opportunities you get yourself pre presented with, with networking. I think that's incredible. Like the, the, uh, the idea that you have around playbook and not just documenting what's working, but more importantly, this idea that lots of things will work. And in, in fact, like unlimited things might work. That's great. Document it. But more importantly, what's not working and like, where are you hitting real friction and what have you done about that? Or what did you learn from that experience? Um, I mean, I, I really like your ideas around playbook. Um, you mentioned on a post about, uh, building playbooks, like as a massive, like we're in that conversation now, you need to include not just what's working, what's not working. You talk about metrics. You talk about what's actually needed in terms of the role, some responsibilities. Um, it's like all fantastic advice. Um, if I was a new SDR starting a playbook um, and I haven't, I haven't really, haven't gotten anything to really start. Is there a place that you'd recommend someone to get started? Um, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. How do I do it? It sounds like a daunting task, right? Like, where do yeah. I get started? Where do I get started as yeah. an SDR? It can definitely be extremely daunting. Uh, for example, right now, um, I am uh, working as a fractional CRO with an up-and-coming uh, video pitching company. Um, but it, they go very far beyond just using video. They're called PitchLink. I can talk more about them a little bit later on. But what I'm doing right now, one of the first things I'm developing for them is a playbook, right? Because they, they don't... Right. The, there's not really a culmination of things yet in order to get to GTM, right? You have to have some sort of idea of how you're going to launch your sales. Right. And so I'm kind of putting together all their collateral that's currently in existence. And that's what you need to do starting as an SDR is if there's already other people on the team, or even if it's just your CEO and you, and you're the first SDR, ask the people around you what they have, right? Figure out what they have, take what they have, and implement that into your playbook first, right? And then as you go down the line, you can take what's in that playbook, right, from other people and start making it your own, right? And that's how you start without making it too daunting, right? You start from other people's materials and then kind of turn it into your own thing and your own strategy. So start with what's there. If it's not there, you can expand on that. Um, and, you know, you already gave some great tips around just like literally just just write down what, like, here's, here's what's working. Here's what's not. Here's an example of, um, a good template. Here's an example of something that someone said where I failed and this is what I did about it. Like that's, that's already sound advice. I really like that. Uh, I wanted to get back to, um, another post that you did that I think was really, really exciting about like the lessons around the people you surround yourself with. Um, and for you, you talked about lessons around people you want to be like, right? Like, that that's kind of like they hit home for me too, um, but uh, if you could uh, get around people that 
do you have an idea of like the individuals that you aspire to be like these today and, and maybe a little bit of a why anyone who's really inspiring you these days? Yeah. Um, just, I think being around uh, the people that you want to be like is this kind of similar as don't be the smartest person in the room, surround yourself with the people like where, where you want to attain knowledge at. Um, I think one of my biggest inspirations honestly comes from my older sister. Um, she's probably going to cry when she hears that on the podcast, but that's fine. Uh, uh, but, um, right. She at a very young age, she's a, uh, believe a head of operations at a crypto company right now. Um, she's, I don't know. She doesn't get mad that I haven't tracked how old she is with. She's like 30 something early thirties. I think she's like 32. Um, and she's the one who really sparked a lot of my inspiration and interest in what I'm doing today in the tech world. I've also grown up with both of my parents. I kind of combined with what they do into, into one thing. Uh, my, my father is a software developer, so I've grown up with a lot of technical stuff around me. Um, and my, my mother's been a teacher. Um, and so, right, I became a head of training at a, at a software sales boot camp, right? So I really combined those two things. Um, and I think my biggest inspiration, and it's not just one name, but it's all the disabled people out there who have done more than what they're labeled as. Like Stephen Hawking, like that dude when he was alive, my idol, right? He didn't let his disability take him back as, you know, he got worse over time. Um, he used that as an opportunity to inspire people to do more, to do better, to become more than who they are. Um, and that's kind of exactly what I want to do for others. That's amazing. Um, the, uh, the fact that you lean so much on your family, uh, is, is really, uh, amazing to hear as well. It, it seems like that's like such a strong backbone and in what inspires you to, to do some of the things you've done. Um, you just mentioned this a little bit, like you, you went from being an SDR to then like a head of training. Um, mm -hmm. and now, and now you're into like, you know, you're doing a few things. You've got your own startup, you're doing some fractional sales leadership role, but, um, like tr training in itself has kind of a, I don't know, um, it has an interesting market. You know, there's some yeah. that, some that get into it for certain reasons and some that have a little bit of background, but uh, what are some of the things that, that sales trainers miss out on or could be better at um, uh, that you've seen as you've moved into that, that, that role? Um, you know, uh, you talk about playbooks a lot. You talk about leveraging experience, uh, but is there any downfall you see from the training training world that you think people could be better at? Yeah, um, 100%. I think that the biggest kind of elephant in the room when it comes to being a trainer, um, and I've seen a lot of people post on LinkedIn about this, pretty much saying the exact same thing, is a lot of the trainers that we have today are people who haven't been on the ground running with SDRs in a long time, right? I think that is the biggest downfall that we see, right? Active coaching, telling people how to do things correctly is great. But if you aren't actively doing that yourself, then how do you truly know what the best ways are to succeed in that, right? We can see even some of the biggest uh, billionaires today um, are on the ground floor still doing a lot of work, right? Um, and that's how they continue building their businesses, right? They delegate a lot of what they do. However, they continue going back to the roots to figure out what's going well, what's not going well, and kind of re-strategizing um, a lot of different parts of their companies. And I think that's, that's the most important thing, and that's the biggest downfall for trainers is um, making assumptions about what's going on in the sales world without experiencing it themselves. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's huge. You know, it's it's a strong testament around, um, you know, your your experience having gone from a program that trains SDRs, getting in and getting real experience, having some, some success in that experience, and then going in and training, having been there, done that at, at a moment in time. We see a lot of people that are, uh, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years into their career, probably haven't picked up a phone for that amount of time. And now they're trying yeah. to, to uh, release programs and content and coursework around, um, you know, how to make that work in today's environment, which is, it's just, it's really interesting to see the, the one um, comments and reflections that they have around uh, ideas and, and, and resources that people might publish around what's working for them. It's like, well, ha have you been in here? Like, do you, do you know what that looks like? Uh, and then two, yeah. um, the perspective around, um, you know, managing from the ivory tower. Um, it's really challenging to see leadership um, actually get in and make the calls, um, do the outreach, uh, and, and more importantly, do the outreach with their own name behind it, which is another exactly. interesting, an interesting kind of uh, perspective. But, uh, you know, you said that the SDR role is one of the hardest you've worked in, and, and you've actually done door-to-door you know, -door political, you know, <laughs> canvassing, which to me seems a little bit harder. I always joke about about that. There should be a, you know, the cold calling competitions where you're like canvassing for a, you know, the hardest job in the world would be like canvassing for a, a candidate that you don't believe in. Like, go go see how that would work. That'd be interesting. But, uh, you know, it, it, and you said that it should be compensated based on how difficult it is. But why why was it so the hardest role? Like when you're in that role, why do you why do you think of it as one of the more difficult positions from your perspective. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the first thing I think is the most obvious, it, it requires the most work just straight up, right? It requires the most amount of learning every single day, the most amount of being able to intake feedback, um, take that feedback and immediately implement it, right? Uh, being able to overcome objections is extraordinarily difficult in most situations, right? Even if you're a seasoned SDR, I know plenty, including myself, who will always mess up uh, at some point in time, right? There, there, I don't believe there's a such thing as being a perfect SDR. And so it requires that constant learning and using your brain really as a, uh, as a, as a muscle to continue, continue working out as an SDR and continue moving forward. And especially as an outsourced SDR, I was learning how to sell a new company's product every two weeks. Um, I always tell people when I've worked with over 50, 60 companies, um, and in the last two years, they're always like, how have you worked with so many? I was like, I did outsourcing. And they're like, oh, yep. seems about right. Right. And, um, that I think that's why it's so difficult is the constant learning curve and things changing in the role that you have to stay up to date with, or you fall behind, you start losing out on, um, numbers and getting deals. Um, and uh, you just fall behind the learning curve and then it's really hard to come back. And it takes more time. It's kind of like re-ramping. Well, so so it's interesting because you've had that experience as an outsource SDR. Um, it, it, it the the data shows that like the ramp time and the success rates of just like a full time SDR at companies is pretty challenging, right? It takes you have to hire two to keep one. It takes fifteen months before somebody's fully productive, and the average SDR is looking to transition within twelve. That's bench. That's a benchmark on. Bridge groups data, like that, it's roughly that number year over year over year, somewhere in that range, right? So, yeah. 
Um, yeah, as an outsourcer, it's like you're ramping in two weeks. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that campaign is changing constantly because if somebody's outsourcing sales development, they probably don't have it figured out yet. They're leaning on someone else to try to go be the cannon fodder into a market. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you're just being like, you're actually set up for somewhat of failures, but is there, is there any set of like core fundamentals that a transition or a new SDR should like really focus on growing that learning, that learning brain, if you will, like you kind of nailed it. Like you got to learn fast. You have to have a growth mindset, but is there anything someone can do to like actually enhance that capability of, of these are the core fundamentals that if I just execute, like these things are repetitive regardless of campaign. And then, and then maybe talk to a little bit around the things that would be different. Right. So as I change campaign, these are things that change. I don't know. I'm curious to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Um, I think the hardest thing to sustain um, as an outsourced rep uh, is the the aspect of being coachable. Hmm. Right. Cause right. If you're an SDR working on one product, right. You're given feedback. You have plenty of time to implement that. Right. Cause you're not expected to have a 12 hour turnaround um, on the new knowledge you've just gained. Um, and so I think that's, that's number one. Um, two is rejection and outsourcing is a lot more prevalent than selling one product, right? Why is that? Well, I think there's multiple reasons behind that. One, like you said, this company usually has doesn't have things figured out, right? And so their product is probably not even proven yet. They don't know their they don't know their product market fit, um, and so the objection the objection handling is not going to be fully there yet. And so you're not going to really know how to overcome a lot of what these people are throwing at you. Um, that makes it way more difficult because you're figuring it out on the fly and you're expected to know how to do that even though you just started maybe selling the product yesterday mm-hmm. um and so i think coachability is thing number one um and then along the lines of handling those objections is probably having a lot of grit right being able to get beaten up constantly over the phone or over email um like pause for example right we're very close to having to fully narrow it down um, TAM and ICP, but we're, I'm fully, uh, ready to admit we're, we're not there yet. All right. We're still trying to figure things out. Uh, but we're working hard to do so. And, uh, I had one of the first emails I sent out to a prospect was why is, um, a dialer sending me an email <laughs> and it took, took all my might to not respond like super snide. Um, but I, I decided to educate them instead. Right. I was like, well, you know, we fully believe here at Pause that a multi-channel approach is the best approach no matter what you're selling, right? Um, didn't get a meeting with him because he didn't like that comment, but, uh, right, that, like, handling things like that, that is one of the hardest things to do um, with an early stage company, which is almost every company in outsourcing. I think that's interesting that you use that example, Um uh, I've, I've, I've had that challenge as well. You know, I, I, uh, I run a business that's phone related as well. And yeah. it's like, look, if you're going to sell a phone related solution, then you might want to use that channel. But the reality is that, um, and I love your response to that. It's like, look, if you're doing outbound for any product, you're trying to solve an equation. Who am I targeting? Target message. What am I saying? Right. Who am I targeting? What am I saying? channel, where can I reach them with that message where they're going to receive it? And then timing, is it the right time for them to engage in that conversation? Whether it's sales or marketing, sales development, it doesn't really matter. You're solving that equation. 
And so, um, you know, not everybody's going to, you know, you're selling a dialer. Not everyone can be reached with dialing. One, do I have your contact information to dial you in the first place or not? And then two, uh, will you even pick up the phone when I call you? So yeah. the fact that you're like, hey, like, I, yes, I might be talking about this thing, but um, if I have this thing, the reality is the only reason why you'd want to have a conversation with me is do you have a problem I can solve or not? Going right back to your original um, uh, statement from the very beginning. That's what you're passionate about. So I love your response there, which is like, hey, this is my belief, uh, regardless of what I'm selling. I Now we're starting a conversation, and now it's just about do you care or not? By the way, I'd love, yeah. I'd love to hear if you follow up with that person, if you think that they're a good fit or not, or maybe you've adjusted your ICP. Maybe they're not, but love to hear yeah. those stories where you get the hard ones, uh, and then eventually they, they do give you a chance because you, you're persistent with follow-up because timing sounds like it's probably the biggest thing there um, outside of just being conviction on on wanting to be snarky on a channel, but that's a really great story that you shared there. Yeah. Uh, we just had, actually, we just had a perfect example, and this, uh, this happened last night. Um, is about literally, I think the week after we launched, we had this enterprise company um, that was interested in in using us, and um, they're they're still trying to figure out some security and compliance things um, from their side, figure out how best to implement pause in their company. However, one of their individual contributors reached out to us last night and was like, "Hey, I want to use this by myself um, and figure out." How I can help my company implement this, um, and so sh- they've gone from oh, eh, to one person now coming becoming a champion and paying for it themselves uh, to get their company to buy us as a whole. Um, and I think that's probably an incredible example of keeping at it and working with them um, instead of trying to push them in a direction they aren't comfortable with. Yeah, well, that's always interesting as you break into some of the other bigger challenges with uh, security compliance and so on and so forth. And outbound sales low fluff, that, that rep that you have right there is uh, a student of some of the things that we talked about where, you know, do you want to solve the problem or do you want to make excuses? And it sounds like that individual is saying, hey, look, I'll, uh, I'll figure out a way to uh, create a business case. Now, I'm not advocating 100% for this in certain companies. You put yourself potentially at risk. But, you know, if you're a seller and you're not being enabled with tools that can help you achieve what your company is looking to achieve for a potential risk that doesn't actually exist, um, you know, sometimes you have to take take chances. I love that. I love that story. Um, although, hey, look, uh, I also understand that compliance is important, especially you know with companies like Cognizant, which is a big uh, big part of what they do on their side. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I mean, but- yeah, that example you just gave. I I had to do the exact same thing when I was first in SDR. Um, some of what we did was just pure lead generation, um, like you know, seamless AI or Zoom Info. Um, and, but we were not being given those tools. And so my goal is to figure out the cheapest way to attain those tools. Um, and so I went, I called one of the directors of sales, um, at seamless, um, and I ended up getting a deal with them so that I would have unlimited leads every month for X amount of money. And I guaranteed them that every single person, um, that was an SDR at that company would go and buy that tool. Um, and so it kind of created that partnership there. Um, along the same lines of what you just mentioned. Yeah, you got to get scrappy. You got to get creative. You got to find ways to, to make it work. And um, sometimes, especially if you're working with a lot of earlier stage companies, that's just what it takes. And uh, there's excuses and there's action. And so I, I, I kind of like that mindset uh, today 
more than ever because, um, you know, at the end of the day, most people aren't going to argue with outcomes. Uh, and when it comes to the brass tacks of what decisions are going to be made in the future, um, some of the things that you use as an excuse are the reasons why you may not have a potential future within an organization. But if you're creating yeah. outcomes, most people aren't going to argue with that. Um, specifically, again, when, you know, it's not going across the line with like, uh, like I'm, ta I'm not talking about like, you know, real issues that other organizations wouldn't do otherwise. But, you know, when it's a proven solution in the market and your company is coming up with an excuse, um, you know, you find ways to, to get after it. So I love those stories. Um, you know, a couple more last questions here as we land the plane. Um, do you have any advice uh, that, that, you, that you've come across, you know, in sales, sales development um, that you received on early in your career? That, that you've really taken to heart that's helped you really accelerate yourself? Anything that comes to mind that's really helped you take it to the next level? You've mentioned the playbook one, but outside of that. Um, yeah. And, 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 and if so, you know, why is that so important? What, why has that helped you get to where you're at today? Yeah. Um, so I think outside of the playbook, uh, the, the best piece of advice I've been given is be humble. <laughs> um, salespeople in general have big egos. Ryan, I think you and I both know that. Um, right. And we've seen a lot of companies on LinkedIn talking about their, their amount of revenue, the amount of people they're hiring, things like that. And then when it comes to it, now they're laying off all these people. Right. And this is across dozens of companies that we've seen this. Um, and some of them grow are growing too big for their britches. And then if you want to take it to the individual level as an SDR or AE, um, right, you may be bringing a massive amount of results into your organization. Um, right. And you deserve to have a little bit of a party for yourself if, if you're doing awesome work. However, use what you're doing to help others achieve that rather than just sitting there and soaking in your own success because other people's success, right. will spread your name without you having to be cocky about it on LinkedIn, I think is one of the biggest things I've seen LinkedIn become a lot like Facebook in the past few months here. Um, and, um, one of the biggest things I've seen is a lot of SDRs going out there talking about the results, um, but really not being able to prove it. Um, and so if you can go out there and prove it by scaling that, kind of like how we talked about with the playbook previously, where other people are using your strategies and showing success and they're writing LinkedIn posts about you instead, I think that's, I think, I think that's like the best place you can be in as a successful person. Um, I think my first piece of advice is be humble. Yeah. It's the best thing I could tell any SDR. And how can people get in touch with you? Yeah. Yeah, you just go to Matthew Provins on LinkedIn. Provins is P-R-O-V-I-N-S. Pretty easy to find. I don't know any other provinces on LinkedIn, so should be fine. Um, and then my co-founder is Ryan Zadrazil. Um, I know his last name is also difficult, but you can spell it out. Uh, and we're, we're, we're connected to each other. You can find me through him as well. Thanks for coming on the show today.